Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Nat Chang Rinpoche, Chapter 4, Part 1. The Kunga restaurant is about as large as the average bus shelter and had a television perched on metal brackets near the ceiling. As we ate our dinner of Swiss Rosti with cauliflower and onions, we were treated to a documentary on Indian open heart surgery. Now, I'm not squeamish, so this posed no problem, but it was a surreal experience nonetheless. The documentary had background music, fairground themes on the mighty Verlitzer, which accompanied statements such as now we are exposing the left ventricle, only in India. Chapter 4, The Lotus Lake. So it's now 1975 and it's time I talked about my first meeting with Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche. Since my first sojourn in India and Nepal in 1971, I applied myself as best I could to consolidating what I had learnt and practising as I'd been instructed. I made some visits to Sami Ling in Scotland, but unfortunately Chugyam Trumpa Rinpoche was no longer there. I'd hoped to meet him because he seemed to be extremely interesting. I had heard a great deal about him from Alf Vile, a Vajrayana Buddhist friend I knew in London through the Buddhist Society. He was a student of Trumpa Rinpoche and had many fascinating stories to tell. He also had a wealth of knowledge about his teaching style. Trumpa Rinpoche obviously had an approach to communicating Dharma that inspired me more than anything I'd previously encountered in terms of language and insight into the fundamental reality of the everyday world. So, with a few Trumpa Rinpoche books in my rucksack, I arrived in Tsokpema on an exceptionally grim evening. The period of winter rains had kicked in early. This usually transforms the Western Himalayas into an enduring tide of drizzles that dampens a person to the bone. I'd hoped for a long and pleasant autumn, an Indian summer, but that's often the way with hope. Tsopema cannot always be found on a map. It's in Kangra district, Himachal Pradesh, northern India. It's south of Manali and east of Mandi, the ancient capital of Zahore. The Indian name for Tsopema is Rualsa, but most maps fail to mark its existence. People hardly know it's there because it's off to the side somehow, and, well, there's nothing special there unless you know about it. 
That's like many things in life. Sopema is remarkable because the lake there is adorned by a floating island, no larger than the average suitcase. For most of the year it lies motionless on the surface of the lake. But on the day of Padmasambhava's birth and other special days associated with him, the little island circumnavigates the lake, always in a clockwise direction. Padmasambhava had taken Mandarava, the daughter of the king of Zahor, as his disciple and consort. The king was seriously displeased. He acted as such kings acted before the advent of human rights, by sentencing them both to death by fire. The island is the remnant of the execution pyre on which he had attempted to burn Padmasambhava and Mandarava. Padmasambhava, as a master of the elements, turned the pyre into a lake and Sopema has been a pilgrimage place ever since. I do not know how the average reader understands histories such as these. Whether a person believes or not, however, the island does move. It circumnavigates the lake every year and anyone can go there and see it. There are no ropes or wires. There's no scuba diver either. Anyone sufficiently foolhardy to submerge themselves in that lake would have to be fearless. Amoebic dysentery and worse would be the likely outcome of the water touching your lips, let alone your swallowing any of the murk. There are some authentic mysteries in the world and the moving island at Sulpema is one of them. It is, moreover, one that anyone can witness. Anyhow, I'd arrived in Mandi by bus. It was stuffed with people, goats and chickens. It took an entire day from MacLeod Gange and I was feeling the worse for it. I then had to find a taxi to take me to Sopema. Sopema was off the bus route and most taxi drivers were reluctant to go there. The road was bad and there was little or no chance of picking up a return fare from anyone in the remote place. I therefore had to pay through the nose for the ride and my finances were tight. I managed to trade my Swiss army knife as the larger part of the fare, so all was well apart from having no way of trimming hangnails. The taxi driver argued a little about whether it was the biggest model or not, and I replied, mit aller Werkzeuge, with all tools, just look at them. I swung out half a dozen blades, including the mysterious one, that people claim is a hoof pick and a fish descaler. This is the largest model with the most blades 
and you, my friend, are getting an extremely good deal. If you aren't happy with it, I'll have it back and find another taxi driver, someone with the wit to understand its value. He shrugged, smiled a nervous smile that betokened that he had to try me out and opened the door for me to take my seat. I boarded the strange automotive relic of the British Raj and sat back to peruse the view, such as it was in the mist. I felt pleased I'd achieved my goal. After an hour or so, the car came to a halt. Here we are arriving Rualsa, sir, the taxi driver announced. Now I must be Mandy again driving. I looked around. It was patently not Rualsa, because there was no lake. Just a vague scattering of hovels in a light rain under a lowering sky. No, I answered, this is not Rualsa. Oh yes, sir, this Rualsa, we are arriving. No, we have not arrived. You will remember that I wanted to go to the lake. You will also remember that you agreed to take me to the lake. There is no lake here, so you will kindly drive on until we see the lake. He shook his head. Here, Rewalsa, lake very close coming, very close, no problem, sir. I smiled as broadly as I could. No, that is incorrect. There is a very considerable problem. It's raining. And you agreed to take me to the lake at Rualsa. So whatever part of Rualsa this is, there is no lake that I can see. So I will be sitting in this taxi till I see the lake. Already I have gone too far. Big problem for me. Too much petrol. Already? Already you have my Swiss army knife. Oh yes, sir, I am knowing that. But this too far for me driving. Too much petrol needing. Listen, my friend, I must warn you. You may have my Swiss army knife but I have a much larger knife in my robes, if you want to see it. Do you want to see my large knife? If you don't want to see my large knife, then you will drive on till we see the lake, exactly as you agreed when I handed over my Swiss army knife. Completely untrue, of course. I had no goddamn large knife, but the message was understood. We drove on for about three miles and the lake finally hove into view. The taxi pulled to a halt, a stone's throw from the lake, and I alighted, happy to have arisen. Thank you very much indeed, my good sir, I grinned. It has been a pleasure to travel with you. The taxi driver also alighted to open the boot for me 
and I unloaded my damp canvas rucksack. Strangely, the taxi driver beamed at me as I gave him the remainder of the taxi fare and said, I am thanking you, sir. You are sending message when you want to go back Mandy, sir? Good luck, sir. Good luck. Thank you. You too. I hope you pick up another fare going back to Mandy. You are sending message, sir? You are sending message when you are wanting go back Mandy? I'll keep that in mind. I wish you well. Have a safe journey back to Mandy. I wondered for a moment just how much good luck I might require. I felt relieved that I had avoided walking the extra three miles in the rain. I didn't see that I needed more luck than that. My robes were damp though and I hoped I'd find somewhere to get completely dry. That might require a little luck. My robes had been damp for days as I could never afford hotel rooms equipped with heaters. I'd stayed in one the previous night, however, due to the kindness of two young Austrian ladies and had managed to dry out a little. We shared hot beverages, chung with honey for them and lemon juice with honey for me. We listened to Keith Jarrett whilst trying to keep the chills away. I was abstemious to all intents and purposes, unless I was offered alcohol by a llama, but the chung was somewhat tempting. I developed a taste for it with Lama Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche, even though it reminded me of a subtle blend of kerosene and low-fat yoghurt. The one large room with three beds was quite comfortable. It was equipped with an electric fire that we nicknamed the Death Ray because it was equipped with a conical ceramic obtrusion around which the electrical element was wrapped. You could only get warm directly in front of it and if you got too close it burned holes in your clothes. I had one such burn hole in my shamtab when I arrived in Sopema. I kept it hidden in the folds. So there I was, a damp victim of the death ray, but I was gleeful with a buoyant frame of mind, feeling myself to be set for high adventure. Mandy had been quite an experience, like stepping back a hundred years in time. Age seeped out of everything in Mandy. There were minimal signs of the 20th century. Tsopema had always been a Tibetan outpost in India and now, with many Tibetan refugees having arrived, it was another country. It felt even older than Mandi. Boda, in the Kathmandu Valley, where Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche lived, had the same feeling, so I felt at home. The first problem when I alighted in Solpema was finding anyone who could speak English. That proved more difficult than it had when I went to Boda, as the Kathmandu Valley was already an established leg of the hippie trail. 
Smiles were not lacking when people saw me. They returned my tashidele, but hakumindu was the response when I asked, do you speak any English? Why do English speakers wander around the world assuming there'll be people who speak English wherever they go? Finally, a young monk called Pema Dorje answered, Yes, Rinpoche, sir, I am speaking English. And, true to his word, he spoke remarkably good English, if slightly Victorian in its construction. He had learned English from an Indian teacher who equipped him with a blue book called First Aid in English. The book contained an example of how to conjugate the word rejoice.